So last chapter, we were talking about the virtue of purity, which means this incredibly high level of unadulterated action where they, there's zero ulterior motives and you're constantly doing the action, not because of other people's accolades, but because this is the right thing to do. So it's nice to talk about that in theory, that this is a beautiful way of living, but how does one actually acquire this very high level actions where they could really live their life constantly focused and motivated by what is truly the correct thing to do without any sort of thoughts about people's reactions or any sort of honor that they're going to get for these actions. Acquiring this virtue is easy for one who has through effort already acquired the virtues taught until now. Right, so I cannot emphasize this enough that the truth of the matter is that this book is a book which has to be read in its entirety one time and then more slowly, right? So you're reading the entire list of different levels that people can rise to, but it, it's a progression and it's a hierarchy and you can't skip steps on the ladder or else it just doesn't work, you're gonna fall flat. So it's important for us to read through the entire thing to get an a overview, but then the, the truth of the matter is the hard work that really starts is when you're ready to start implementing this and you start doing it you know, one chapter at a time putting that into our lives and you know, changing our lifestyle to incorporate some of these thoughts and messages into our lives, then you could really move to the next chapter. When one contemplates and examines the base nature of the pleasures of the world and their benefits, as I've written previously, uh, someone texted me after a couple of nights ago, someone posted um, that uh, it, it, all these thoughts that we keep on saying about the very ephemeral pleasures, right? That you're sitting there, you're eating a delicious meal, but as soon as that food passes your throat, there's nothing, there's no more benefit to that. You know, there's, there's heartburn, there's no more benefit anymore for that delicious steak. So he, the line I think was, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, right? So that, that, that's the idea that the Masih al-Sisharim, lahavdil, right? Not, not exactly in such a crude way, but trying to explain that you're trading a very small benefit, a very momentary benefit for a lifetime. As I've written previously, he will find them repulsive and he will regard them only as the ills and defects of the corporeal, obscure and crude side of human nature. Right? As we've discussed many times in the past, we have this lower level of ourselves, which we call the, the, uh, the guf, the body. And then what we have is the nefesh abahamis. The nefesh abahamis means the animalistic soul, if you will. And that's sort of the ability to move, the ability to, to eat, the ability to do action, but that's not the higher level, uh, which we call, let's say, the neshama, the soul, that actually is trying to do the right thing. And when it becomes absolutely clear to him that they really are defects and ills, it will no doubt be easier for him to disassociate himself from them and to remove them from his heart. Therefore, the more he is able to develop a deep and enduring awareness of the base nature of corporeality and its pleasures, the easier it will be for him to purify his thoughts and his heart and totally prevent them from drawing him towards evil inclination, right? So step number one is, well, we know to become purified and to, to really purify our actions that even the thoughts involved in the good deeds are, are solely good thoughts. A big thing that we have to do is to recognize the pleasures of this world and to recognize how limited those pleasures are. A friend of mine, his father, I might've mentioned this story before, his father, is uh, in his 70s, and for the last 50 plus years, he just learns Torah the whole day. And his wife happens to have a, you know, a good job. She was, she was uh, an insurance agent, you know, she had her own agency, 
And this is what she wanted her husband to do, just study Torah. And he just, he, tremendous Torah scholar. But he doesn't get any respect at all, not one iota, right? Because he's sitting in his own little, as we say in Yiddish, his own vinkel, right? His own little corner. He's just learning Torah. And he, you know, he's raising a good family, but he's just learning Torah. That's all, you know, and, and, and doing the mitzvahs. But he's not, he never became like a, a dean of a school. He never became a rabbi. He, he never became someone who got any respect, not even a little bit of respect for his Torah learning. And he should be getting respect for his Torah learning because he's such a great Torah scholar. So one time I asked his son, who I'm very close with, is it ever like, do you think it ever bothers your father that he never became like a, a you know, a, a teacher or a dean or a rabbi? So he said, no, my father realized a long time ago that that type of respect is false respect. Right? There's only one type of respect that's real respect. And that's the respect that you get in the world to come. So he's going to sacrifice his respect in the world to come for these false respect, the false honor that people sometimes give to people in this world. That that's not the true honor that you should be striving for. The true honor that you should be striving for is the honor that Hashem will recognize you for doing what you did correctly. So, the more he is able to develop a deep and enduring awareness of the base nature of corporeality and its pleasures, the easier it will be for him to purify his thoughts and his heart and totally prevent them from drawing him towards evil inclination. In his actions in relation to the corporeal, he should always behave like one who is being coerced by his natural instincts, right? So you should try not to enjoy things to the utmost degree, right? So you, you minimize that to some extent, right? So generally speaking, you like your you like uh, food in a very specific way, so try to minimize that that uh, that pleasure in a small way, right? Not in a big way, but take away one thing, right? And if you take away one thing, it's just helping you. The act of taking away one bit of that pleasure, you know, normally you like your uh, mashed potatoes with uh, four different types of spices. So instead, you're going to have mashed potatoes with only three different types of spices. And when you put, it's not that it tastes that different. Right? It's not that you're really doing anything so significant, but what you're doing is you're taking an action to concretize your thought process and your approach to the world. What do I mean by that? If we recognize that the purpose of this world is not to benefit from this world in, in the base pleasures, that's not to say you should not benefit at all. We've discussed that multiple times also. How the Nazir, the one who, who abstains from wine, is punished for abstaining from wine because he's taking away from himself the pleasures of this world. But that is not supposed to be the focus of our lives. And you're supposed to try to mitigate that to the greatest extent possible. Now, one of the ways to do that is to take an action that will concretize this motivation, this desire to, to be uh, more separated from the pleasures of this world. So even though it's a very small thing, it's not really changing the actual pleasure. But taking that action is going to help make it more real. However, in the same manner that we divided purity of thought into two separate categories, the one in reference to physical deeds and the other in reference to deeds devoted to the service of the eternal. Likewise, the intellectual effort needed to acquire it falls into two categories, right? So there's two categories of purification. Purification in terms of an actual physical deed, and then there's purification in terms of the, um, the deeds that are done for Hashem, the mitzvot, right? So even that could be purified, right? You could do, you could do the mitzvah of, um, of uh, let's say, to pray, right? So you go to, you go to synagogue and you pray. Right? So, okay, fine, you're going to synagogue and you're praying, that's great. Uh, but you're going to the synagogue and you're praying out loud and singing. Now, why are you praying out loud and singing? You're praying out loud and singing because through the singing, it's going to help you have a deeper connection to the tefillah, right, to the prayer. Because as we know, that singing can open up your heart and, and really, you know, have you more open to other experiences. Or are you singing so loudly because you want other people to appreciate your beautiful voice, right? 
So in both times you're praying and both times you're singing. But the question is, what's the emphasis? What is the purpose of the singing? And it's not that everyone's a binary person, right? So it's not that you're always making a decision. I'm either praying and singing solely for the sake of getting a deeper connection to the tefillah, or I'm praying and singing for other people to honor me and respect my beautiful voice. Well, it could be somewhere in between. So when we talk about purifying someone, depending on what level you're on, that's going to be a, a greater degree of purification or a lesser degree of purification that will be necessary. Thus, in order to purify one's thoughts in the domain of corporal action, one must continually scrutinize the base nature of the physical world and its pleasures. But to purify one's thought in the type of deeds devoted to the service of the eternal, one must expand his awareness of the delusory nature of honor and the deceptions that are connected with it. And he must train himself to flee from honor. Consequently, when he is occupied with serving the eternal, he will be cleansed of the influence that comes from the admiration and praise of his fellows, and his thought will be directed solely to our master, whom we extol, and who is the source of all our goodness and perfection. There is none other. Similarly, it states in Deuteronomy, he is your praise and he is your God. So if we can acknowledge on a rational level that our purpose in this world is to purify ourselves and to purify our soul and to try to be the best that we possibly can and to serve Hashem, well, then if you want to do it right, then you want to do it on the highest level that, that's obtainable for any individual. So the more that you can direct your thoughts and your intentions while doing that action, doing that deed that Hashem wants you to do, but you're doing it solely for the reason that Hashem did it, that's on a higher level than when you're doing it for all these other ulterior motives. So I think that's what the, the point that he's focused on right now is one of the ways to, to really get into this and dive deep and figure out how to step away from these other motivations is to be very focused on how illusory honor is in this world. There's false honor. And false honor, you're giving up real honor for false honor. Because to the extent that your deeds are motivated by the fact that you're going to get false honor in this world, to that extent, you're lessening the true and pure motivation of doing it for the sake of Hashem. 